0: Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on another bright day here in the capital as once again we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. My name is Scott Chaloner and I'm delighted to be joined on today's programme by Pat Carrington MBE. Pat is the Executive Principal of City College Peterborough, based in Peterborough, Cambridgeshire of course. Pat, very warm welcome to you and thank you ever so much for taking the time to join us on the programme today
1: thank you very much for inviting me. It's
0: a real pleasure Pat. Now um, the purpose of this discussion first and foremost is to establish your take on leadership so if we just look at that word leader in isolation as a starting point I'm interested to understand what that word actually means to you and how it resonates.
1: Mm. That's a a very well debated uh, topic isn't it And and I think for me the leader is the person that um, has the ability to bring people along to a common goal, um, to drive, to take things forward. I guess it's a bit like being the conductor of an orchestra, that there are so many different um, important facets and elements to an organisation, and your role is to bring these all together uh, to ensure that we do that in the best possible way to meet the aims or the mission of the organisation.
0: I think you're very right in leadership that you have to take people with you and a huge part of that is being able to motivate and to inspire and also be able to manage individuals. I suppose leadership and management are fundamentally different things but there is some overlap especially in the area of people management because we can't hope to be good leaders can we without being able to communicate and being able to work with different personalities so that's an incredibly important aspect of it as well.
1: It absolutely is, and, and communication time and time again is is always one of the most challenging um, areas to to work with um, within the education sector. Within my sector, it is the people that make things happen. Um, yes, you have buildings, yes you have bricks and mortar, and, and obviously that has changed with with COVID. But your your product, if you like, or your delivery model, to your product, which is to educate people are the people that deliver that and the infrastructure that support them. So it's incredibly important that you have a variety of different ways in which you can communicate. Um, And also have an understanding of what people's expectations are of you. Um, So the communication process has to be two way It has to involve an incredible amount of listening. Um, And through that process, it's about being able to... um, Win the the respect and trust of the people that you work with so that when it is difficult or when there are decisions or when you can't communicate, that they trust in you and believe your actions are in the best interest of what it is we're trying to achieve.
0: Exactly right. And we talk about the need for communication there. And it's been incredibly important in the context of the current environment, hasn't it, with COVID-19 and, of course, different business organisational leaders having to feel their way through this unprecedented crisis. And with the lockdown, we're having to show um leadership from a distance and maintain the communication channels electronically um how has it been mm. from your point of view managing that Pat? um and in terms of adapting on the whole how has it been for city college peter because i imagine it has posed one or two quite significant challenges as well
1: it has it has uh, i mean the education element that we work with tends to be with um those furthest away from learning the work and those lower skills so um we're delivering um your development, learning, and support to some of the most vulnerable. And so even if we get to grips with how best to uh, deliver our services through uh, digital and um, uh, working from a distance, our audience isn't necessarily in the same position as us. So it's been an incredibly challenging time to ensure that not only staff supported in being able to work from home. Um, and being mindful of of their well-being through this process, because it is a lot more intensive working this way, but also ensuring that the people that we are there to serve actually have the ability to engage with us. And if they can't do that through technology, then what are our other options? Um, It's simply not acceptable to say there are people from society that we, we cut off because we can't communicate with them remotely. It's our job. It's our responsibility to find ways to do that. And with the type of workforce that we have, they really want to support our local residents. So we have to be able to offer them solutions um, in the way that they work, but also in them being able to deliver what it is they're employed to do. Um, so it's it put a shock wave through the sector without a, a shadow of a doubt. Um, and I think the silver lining is it's really made us concentrate on this divide, on what we can do to best, better support um, our staff and, and also um, our students.
0: And that renewed focus on mental health and well-being that's come about as a result of this pandemic is really going to sort of buoy that in the future, isn't it? Trying to improve those relations. From that perspective, um, how have sort of staff and students applied themselves during this period? Have you found that they've sort of taken to it all quite well? Or from a leadership point of view, have you had to have maybe one or two conversations just to provide that little bit of reassurance at times?
1: Mm, very much so. I, I think as leaders and um, as managers within the organisation, we've gone a lot more back to the floor than we probably have done for, for some time as part of COVID. A lot of the, the time as a leader, as well as making sure that we're planning for the future and a recovery, it's about ensuring that we're supporting our staff now. So people working from home, it's making sure that we have regular contact with them, that we do pick up those signals if they're struggling accepting that different people's circumstances vary and how can we support them during that time if they have children to look after, if they're, they're caring responsibilities, um, or just understanding what's happening in their family background. Has a partner been furloughed? Um, are they concerned about their, their economic um, background? So we, we've been very much having a lot of conversations with staff um, and our staff have been having telephone calls with our students that may not be um, digitally engaged to ensure that their welfare is, is correct. So it, it's got a real focus actually on the people and the wellbeing and that wider aspect of what we should be doing for our employees. Um, it's very much become a, a, a much more open and two-way process to try and encourage people to ensure that they are supported. And, and a classic example of that is, is making sure that although people are working from home, they actually take holidays. That they take time away from the computer, you know, that they take advantage of, of spending some time in the garden. Um, very much so, when people are at home, they log on the minute they get up, and they feel guilty if they leave the computer. And then they're there until six, seven, eight o'clock at night, and, and that's not good for anybody. Um, so it's really about ensuring that they know it's acceptable to take those breaks away. They know what uh, we can offer them in terms of supporting their well-being. Uh, We've given them access to online programs um, in which they can engage, whether it be yoga, whether it be gardening. Um, So really trying to create a space in which it's not all focused on the computer. And if we have meetings, that actually we go in 15 minutes early and we have a general chat and a cup of tea together, rather than just going into the meeting, coming out of the meeting and and that constant um, back-to-back Zoom or or, um, Teams culture that we found ourselves in.
2: It's
0: really highlighted this um, current period, hasn't it, The um, what's going to be going on with working practices going forward. And there are a lot of people who are thinking of maybe moving more toward remote working and away from sort of standard human contact. Um, in your own view, Pat, um, what role do you think that sort of office environment will actually play in the future of work, both within City College, Peterborough, and also within the wider world?
1: Mm. I think it very much depends on what your job role is or what your organisational role is. Um, So I think it will be very much a blended approach. Uh, I think there will be uh, a lot more acceptance and trust of people working at home, um, but also an acceptance that we still do need to have human contact, both as individuals and also for the people that we're there to support. So I can see that work um, patterns now will be much more contextualised to somebody's job and their home circumstances Mm. um, to ensure that, As an organisation, we can offer the best service to the people we support. We can support our staff and recognise some of the, the, the challenges and benefits from working from home.
0: Can certainly see where you're coming from uh, from that point of view. And um, I think you're very right in the sense that that human contact is something that we have missed um, on the whole. And we have taken that for uh, granted quite a bit as well prior to uh, the current situation. Um, just backtracking ever so slightly, yeah, uh, Pat, one thing that's come under a great deal of scrutiny during this period has been the leadership of the, uh, the government throughout the crisis, particularly with regards to existing safety guidelines for premises to op- continue to operate safely. And of course, COVID secure guidelines to allow businesses in particular to begin reopening again. Um, Given that, of course, there have been widespread closures within the education sector, have you been satisfied with the existing guidelines in knowing exactly what's expected of you as and when you recommence doing what you're doing?
1: Um, Now, yes. We haven't closed um, during the um, COVID lockdown. We've Mm. we've had um, a service in which we supported some of our vulnerable young people and um, young people who cared for key workers. Um, And in those very early days of doing that, um, there was a lack of guidance. Um, But once it started to appear, um, then we had a lot of uh, direction in terms of uh, what we should be doing as education providers. Where the challenge has come for us is um, we're we're sort of in COVID boot camps now as as people return more to the workplace. Um, When they first come in, they they do a boot camp. So they understand the the requirements of being in the building and the expected behaviours, um, but what we found is not only did we need to train the people coming back, but the people that have been here the whole time, because of that lack of guidance initially, um, did start to develop what would now be seen as bad habits. So um, we have had to sort of get rid of some old habits um, and then also bring in um, staff back to work, to, to the new habits. So um, early days, no, uh, but certainly once we started to, to get that um, direction then um, it's been quite good, actually, for the education sector, I think.
0: And thinking about the new normal and the challenges that that will bring, what do you envision both for yourself and for City College Peterborough over the course of the next year as we move through the pandemic and look to the long-term future? And most importantly, what do you hope to achieve during that time?
1: Mm, Absolutely. Well, I believe we have a very critical role to play in the recovery of the country. Um, As I said um, earlier, we focus very much on supporting adults and vulnerable young people. And so the people that we will be there for are more than likely those that that are going to be made redundant. So it will be very much about how we can retrain people into the jobs of the future to ensure that they um, can support the local economy, that they can start to fill the skills gaps and and, uh, actually be um, um, developed to the new ways of working of the future. So for me, the challenge is around being able to identify um, where those opportunities are going to be. Where where is the employment going to be? What are the sectors that are going to thrive in the future? um, And how we can quickly access and support people that that are made redundant or need retraining in order to enter that jobs market, but to enter the jobs market with a career pathway, not to enter the jobs market in a low paid job that in six to 12 months time could be redundant again. So for me, it's about working with partners. It's about understanding the local landscape and technology um, that's going to be required within our local landscape to ensure that we can offer those opportunities for people to retrain and um, to move further in learning and work. And I think the challenges with that with adults is they always put their children first. Why wouldn't we? Um, so we need to make sure that the model we offer actually then reflects what it is to put their lifestyle as well. So for us, um, the future is about the recovery. It's about ensuring we meet local demand. Challenges are anticipating what that demand will be and ensuring that our model of delivery aligns to what it is people actually want to, to access.
0: Mm, seems like um, plenty to do um, amid all of the uncertainty as we move into the uh, the new normal for sure, Pat. And, you know, it's actually one thing speculating about what the uh, the future might bring and laying the foundations for such plans. But it's another entirely just reflecting on what's happened in the time between and really looking at how those hopes have been borne out. So I think given how informative it's been for myself and hopefully also for the listeners today having you on the programme, I think it would be fantastic to catch up and have you back on the air with us in a few months time just to see how things are getting on um, in the recovery. it
1: an absolute pleasure. Thank you.
0: That would be wonderful, Pat. It's been a real pleasure having you on the programme with us today for certain. It's a shame we don't have more time, otherwise we could talk long into the evening for sure. Um, but until we do speak again in future, but most importantly, do take care and do stay safe with all still going on, because although things are starting to return to some form of normality, we're certainly not out of the woods with this one yet, that's for sure. Thank you. That was Pat Carrington, MBE, speaking, Executive Principal of City College Peterborough. Coming up next on today's programme, I'll be handing over to Matthew O'Neill for his exclusive interview with former Education Secretary Lord Blunkett. Lord Blunkett is an active member of the House of Lords, a former Labour MP and Secretary of State, and Chairman of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. Despite being blind from birth, Lord Blunkett actually rose to prominence to become one of the most notable politicians of his generation, holding a number of senior positions in Tony Blair's cabinet and serving as the MP for his Sheffield, Brightside and Hillsborough constituency for 28 years. He was elevated to the House of Lords in August 2015, anointed Baron Blunkett of Brightside and Hillsborough. And I hope that you enjoy listening just as much as Matthew relished speaking with him. That is coming up next.
2: Lord Blunkett, welcome.
3: Thank you very much. It's very good to be with you.